this is Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hello people, this is Ben, you're listening to episode 110 of my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers, and uh, it's nice to have you along, thank you very much for joining me. Now this was maybe or maybe not going to be an I'll special episode, uh, and it isn't that, but the next one may be, although I still don't know. Is that clear? I hope so. I haven't finished listening to the material that I got from Arl, so I still don't know whether it's good enough to make a podcast out of. That's all I can really tell you at this stage. But in the meantime, I have something better in a way because this week um, I'm going to bring you a chat I had in Arl with Indian photographer and Magnum Photos associate Saurabh Hura. And this was the only chat I got in the can whilst in Arl and it's something we'd arranged when we met in London for the first time a week or so before. Wait, I'll explain what happens after this. Wait. Don't forget, if you're a regular listener and you think this podcast is worth the price of a cup of coffee per episode, then please do sign up for a small recurring monthly subscription of about five quid. Uh, or if you prefer, make a larger occasional donation at bensmithphoto.com slash a small voice. Uh, leave a positive review on iTunes if you are in the mood to do that so that others may find out about the podcast. And if you should happen to need a new website, and I am doing a few websites for various people, I can sort it out for you using the Squarespace platform so you don't have to waste your time and energy figuring out how to do it yourself. Though I will teach you how to do it yourself so that you can then manage your own content going forward. (sighs) So I first emailed Saurabh because I saw that he was going to be in London for the Magnum General Meeting, during which time he was doing a masterclass with fellow Magnum member Antoine Dagatar. So I thought I'd try and grab him while he was here. But I never heard back from him. I sent, I think, three emails, I think. So I figured that was that. Then during that very week, my buddy Ian Tay, who features on episode one of this podcast, was in town on a visit. And he said to me, do you know Sarabhura? And I thought, blimey, of all the photographers on the planet he could have named, he named this bloke who I've been trying to get in touch with. And to cut a long story short, a couple of days later, we had dinner together because Sarab and Ian are friends, it turns out. And, of course, Saurabh didn't get the emails because they went in his spam or whatever. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by the excellent Charcoal Book Club, the first and only book of the month club dedicated exclusively to photo books. Each month, Charcoal works with the most respected names in contemporary photography to select a first edition monograph that is a must-have for every collection. Each book arrives signed by the artist, along with a note card and a print from an esteemed guest curator, with free shipping to the US, Canada and the UK. All that, along with members-only pricing in their online bookstore and more, makes the Charcoal Book Club the best and most exciting way to stay up to date with essential work in contemporary photography. Now I was saying on the last episode that I couldn't remember what the book of the month was and of course by sheer coincidence it's The Coast which is the latest book by none other than Saurabh Hura. So you know you think these things were done deliberately wouldn't you? I wish it were. I wish I were that organised. I can't speak for the Charcoal Book Club but I suspect they'd say the same thing. It just worked out folks. It just worked out. Anyway Because I had the guy right in front of me, I obviously took the opportunity to invite him onto the podcast. And because his schedule for London was a bit nuts, we arranged to meet in Arles and do it there, which is what we did. And it was a bit chaotic and we didn't really have a suitable place to do it. 
in the end, we waltzed into one of our foremost hotels right there in the main square and we kind of hid ourselves away in the empty breakfast room where we were able to talk unmolested. But you might hear a bit of background noise. This episode is sponsored by the equally excellent finder.me, F-I-N-D-R.me, which is a two-sided marketplace for imaging professionals, providing clients with direct access to thousands of experienced photographers on a single platform, and in turn, introducing photographers to hundreds of potential clients. Finder connects photographers with relevant customers based on location and types of photography services offered. Photographers can sign up quickly and easily and for free for corporate contracts at fixed rates, or they can set their own pricing to attract direct clients. Finder is for everyone in the photography business, from wedding planners to artists, and if you are a photographer, whatever type of photographer you may be, go and open an account, start filling out your profile, and open up a whole new way of finding new work, finding new clients, and finding new opportunities. Join up for free at finder.me and get found. So, Sarapura is an Indian photographer based in New Delhi in India. He joined Magnum Photos as a nominee in 2014, I believe, and is currently an associate member, and his work has been shown in solo exhibitions in London and in Calcutta in India. Saurabh was born in West Bengal, attended India's most highly regarded boys' boarding school, the Dune School, and he has a master's in economics from the University of Delhi, and he began making photographs during college with a Nikon FM10, which was given to him by his father. His self-published trilogy, Sweet Life, comprises the books Life is Elsewhere, A Proposition for Departure, and Look, It's Getting Sunny Outside. The latter was shortlisted for Photo Book of the Year in the Parry Photo Aperture Foundation Photo Book Awards. The trilogy focuses on Saurabh's relationship with his mother, who was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia in 1999, when he was just 17 years old. In 2011, the British Journal of Photography included Saurabh in its Ones to Watch list, Sean O'Hagan, writing in The Guardian, included Sorab's The Lost Head and the Bird exhibition in his top 10 photography exhibitions of 2017, describing it as overwhelming, disorientating and utterly unforgettable. Sorab's fourth book, The Coast, was published in 2018 under his own Ugly Dog imprint and has been met with critical acclaim. So uh, Sorab remained charming and unfazed by the somewhat challenging circumstances throughout our chat and I tried hard to tune out all the racket in the background. So without further ado, here's Sarapura. I was trying to remember some of the things that you and Ian were talking about the other night mm -hmm. at, in London and, um, because it was very interesting, the kind of conversation that you got into. It was, it was sort of really flowing and, uh, you know, you, it was a very interesting thing to sort of listen to in a way because um, I think you both have some similar views on photography and you seem to kind of click do you know what I mean do you feel that mm -hmm. way with Ian yeah I mean I've known him for a few years now and and I think that there's a sort of a bond uh, right I don't know how to actually put it but yeah I think we kind of get each other yeah exactly you yeah. get each other and you kind of get each other's works at work and uh there was a couple of anecdotes, but you you might not want to get into that, and that's fine. I'll, we, I mean, if the, I just edit all this out, we can talk freely. But <laughs> what was that thing about you? Um, you misunderstood some some instruction, and you went went ran off and, and and shot a video and a whole bunch of other stuff, and it was just a complete misunderstanding. What was that? Do you remember that? Uh, about that? Yeah, I mean, in two thousand ten, I got the Magnum Foundation Emergency Fund grant, and that was the first year, and I had chosen to work in a village uh, that I'd been to in 2005 um, I just made my photographs and I'd come back to Delhi and I'd received an email a group email uh, from the foundation to all the photographers um, where they'd asked for you know uh, all the material that we had made 
uh, in the fellowship period, whether it was photographs or videos or text that we had written or sounds that we had recorded and so on, and to send it to them, uh, you know, by a particular date. Uh, by mistake, I read that we were supposed to take photographs and videos and sounds. So you thought it was all of those things? I thought it was all of those things. Uh, and um, I didn't reply to anyone and I just hurried back to the village uh, the next day in a train and uh, it took me two, two days to reach there. Um, collected as much material as I could in terms of video and sounds that I could record. Um, and in another two days I was back home. I'd bought like a um, a microphone for you know like 200 rupees about two two pounds and uh, downloaded some cheap video editing software and I, I ended up making something you know uh, and then I replied to them saying that you know sorry I didn't have internet connection <laughs> so here's here's what I made and and I think I'm quite happy with that I mean a lot of my work comes out of um, accident right um, yeah no because so. I think that's a very interesting thing that you know Although it was all a bit of a misunderstanding, you did end up with something quite interesting. But had you ever experienced, like, experimenting with video before that? Was that the first thing you'd done with video? I mean, I'd actually... With my camera, I think I'd made videos, um, but never really done anything with them. Um, I think that was the first time I actually put something together. I mean... A few years ago, um, for the World Press Photo Masterclass, because I was there in 2009, yeah. So we were supposed to um, put together a story of our lives in five minutes. And that was the first time I actually made like a moving image um, projection, uh, which was made up of, um, you know, photographs that I had made, family photographs, uh, text that I would written and scanned and... Um, sounds that I recorded and so on and um, um, I mean I'd already done that but I think what I ended up doing a year later when I got this grant and I misread everything was um, um, was for me like it opened it opened my foray into video a lot more yeah, and I think that's very interesting, you know, that this the, the, you're quite open to accident and, what's the word, um, serendipity maybe, you know, all those kind of things. You quite like to introduce that, those elements into your practice. I think it goes with my personality, like I feel like I'm full of accidents myself, you know. Yeah. Um, and in a way I kind of just go with the flow. Um, I mean, my work process is a mix of uh, being intuitive and you know, bringing in um, thought. Um, but I like to move quite organically. And then in moments um, when everything feels right, you know, I end up consciously working towards a certain goal. But I like that back and forth between intuition and, and mm. uh, a rigorous thought process. Well, let's talk about, um, I think, some of the projects that you've done, but we should. I'd like to maybe start further back and get a bit of context. So you grew up where, in West Bengal? No, I was born in West Bengal. I grew up in, in Delhi for a bit. Uh-huh. Then I went to um, a boarding school in north of India. Yeah. And so what was that like for you, the boarding school experience? It was 
fantastic right um that's quite an unusual um story you know most people are like it was terrible i hated it no 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 for me it was great but at the same time i was cocooned into a secure life in a way i mean it is a privileged life in many ways um but at the same time um i think i think it was a good formative period for me mm. but it's just that i can't um hold that around my neck anymore you know mm. uh, coming back to delhi for my university years i realized that um there was a far more interesting world outside and um i think people felt a lot more street smart outside you know mm-hmm. um and uh, i think i think i i it was a good opening up for me yeah because i mean i, I you, i've heard you say something along the lines uh that you need to feel a little bit of instability in some in some respects can mm. you sort of expand upon that a little see when i started photography um i felt that i had lost everything and that had a lot to do with my mum falling sick mm. um and i ended up learning how to work in a way where i felt like i had nothing to lose and that, those were my beginnings right um and then the more i ended up acquiring um a work history and along with that some sort of acknowledgement of whatever kind you know whether i've had a book published or uh people have appreciated my work in any way or you know i've gotten through the magnum membership process or i've had some show somewhere i mean i think all of these things um end up um making me comfortable and giving me a lot to lose in a way you know so for me i have to actually always be in touch with the feeling of um having everything at stake uh with nothing to lose um i think that um i i um need this um point of uh, vulnerability mm. um because i think that um it's this indescribable place where um the unex- i'm open to the unexpected mm. i think i'm very scared of um of not being able to or being scared to take a risk i mean mm. for me it's that yeah 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 um, yeah yeah so which is why like i ne- i need to artificially construct this environment where um i end up feeling unstable to an extent but at the same time it's a safe environment for me like mm. i don't get too demotivated as well mm. you know so it's um so you have to get that balance yeah, right yeah it's the balance you've already you've already kind of referenced your mum's um illness which became your first proper project i think uh, had you done stuff before you started working on that one i don't think of it as a project i mean i don't think i think of any of my works as projects uh-huh. um i think um for me photography began as therapy um before i consciously started to build a, what seemed to be that work around my mum i had already I've uh, been photographing along a river um uh which was where I was actually learning photography um you know the basics of it the composition the moment um um it kind of helped me focus away from what was happening at home 
Mm. Um, but this was in in response to your mum being ill. That's why you needed therapy, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I was also studying economics, and I was simultaneously working on uh, in the village um, on employment and livelihood um, issues. Um, more because you know I felt like that came out of a sense of responsibility. You know, mm. so. In the beginning, there was this dilemma of um, should I do something? Should I do photography for myself, or should I do it because I can do something? You know, put forward some other person's story. Um, over time, I think I moved away from the work in the villages because I had my own discomfort with my own position, with my own privilege. Um, you know, I was going. to these places and I was photographing other communities with their own problems uh, and I was coming back to my own safe place um, and at the same time I was aware that my mum herself was not well and I could actually photograph someone else's mother far more easily than I could photograph my own so I started to feel like I needed to kind of look inwards in order to actually earn my right to look outwards mm. um, so that's when I consciously tried to take photographs of my mum but uh, in the beginning I felt guilty about it and I stopped taking those photographs but then I did respond to it by photographing the world outside that seemed beautiful in a way you know I think at that time I was escaping what was back home uh, so when I was escaping away from home the world outside was always quite surreal and magical and I was on the road quite often and and um, um i think over time i didn't consciously set out to make life as elsewhere if that's the work that you're referring mm. to um because that i ended up building into that work sometime later um i didn't plan for it um but it it happened because of this questioning you know uh, why i was actually looking at the world outside and Mm, in a way that I was, you know, um, which today I feel like was a very escapist way of looking at things, mm. and um, and every time I asked myself that question, the answer always came back to my mum, you know, uh, that I was escaping. I mean, at that time it w- I wasn't conscious that I was escaping, but it, w- it was because of my mum, you know. So yeah. uh, what I tried was to make that connection between the inside and the outside world. um right. and and life is elsewhere actually was something that i started to put together um um consciously i think a long time after i was already um making that work you mm-hmm. know um and um over time i kind of also started to not like the work too much because i realized that um um not only was i escaping but um it was supposed to be an autobiographical journal but which i was intending to make in a st- i mean which i thought was in a stream of consciousness sort of way of making images but i ended up realizing that i was getting very aware of how to make specific images mm. you know to perform a certain function and and that i think um um disrupted my relationship to the work mm. and then i had already started working with children as well and i liked the carefreeness with which they were uh photographing 
uh, their world you know um in all the workshops that we were doing with the kids in Cambodia uh-huh. um i ended up also you know noticing the physicality of image making you know um and were you sort of being inspired by other people at that stage were you looking at other people's work yeah, and yeah i mean there were so many people i mean i'm a self-taught photographer so how else to actually learn mm. um i was pretty much diving into i was hungry for you know um to look into the history of photography i mean unfortunately it's a very white history of photography you know um a white history i mean it's yeah. all written in europe it's written in in the us it's not acknowledged you know other communities in europe and i mean it's for example we here in arl and we are seeing all these other people from you know the czech republic and somewhere else and mm. uh, who never really got the due at that time and mm. um how did you feel about that as a as a young man then were you did you just take that as a challenge what the the kind of you know the fact that you're a person of color operating in a very no, no no i mean to be honest i wasn't aware of any of that right i was just there i mean i was just hungry to learn yeah you know yeah. um you didn't think oh fuck i've got to deal with this kind of inherent bias no, i think to be honest for me the world is more complex than you know black or white of course uh, and i yeah. think that uh, but it's undeniable that you, there's something that you've had to deal with yeah, but forever that I've never had to even think but, about as a kind of but, but I white, always right? feel like you have to learn to unlearn right. and I think that um, I think for me uh, mm, I was very happy with my exposure to photography no matter where it came from mm. I mean what I'm saying right now is just to acknowledge that it was a, quite a limited uh, part of ph- photographic history sure sure uh but i don't have any complaints i had to start mm-hmm. somewhere yeah. it happened to be that it was the most dominant history but by dominance i mean you know it was the one that was propagated the most right. um and for example you know uh, i feel quite rich to have imbibed a lot of those things in me i mean uh if i think about who i am today you know uh i'm someone who's living in a world who's pretty much grown up in a world where um a lot of boundaries have merged you know um and um i think that the way i dress the foods i'm interested in eating you know I, i'm i'm quite open in that sense um and if all of me is actually experiencing these boundaryless journeys you know whether i'm eating or whether i'm dressing up the films i'm watching mm. you know um uh i can't kind of just get stuck on where the history came from i mean that's a very important part of it but for me what i'm s- trying to do here is i'm trying to acknowledge that this is where i began from but then of course i ended up unlearning a lot of it you know um but I, at the same time i can't then say I, i want to be an indian photographer because i don't know what the hell an indian photographer is you know hmm. um but but what i do realize consciously is that i'm trying to i've taken whatever i've learned over a period of time and i'm tapping back into 
my more immediate surroundings you know um i mean certain kind of storytelling for example that a lot of our grandparents would tell us as kids you know um like i know that a lot of people um sometimes get outside india especially get confused between uh, confused about what i'm doing you know mm-hmm. a lot of my works to them seem very different from one another but for me they're all the same um mm-hmm. i think i've learned that my language is not the visual language itself it's um a sensibility with which i'm putting together uh narratives or threads or mm-hmm. non narratives you know mm-hmm. uh i think my language is more the logic that uh pulls my work uh and not so much uh, style or any of that right. for me that's too superficial mm-hmm. and um all my works for me feel the same i mean if i have to look at all my look at my works i think pretty much all of them have animals and birds that come in you know um i mean these are the stories i grew up with where they've always animals birds with their own meanings and mm. um it was kind of fable like in that sense you mm-hmm. know so those are the things that i've um, consciously and unconsciously i mean i i think i got conscious of it over time but it was very very natural for me to even if i was photographing at home it wasn't just my mom's dog it was the mouse there it was the cat that would come at night it was the birds that we found and that we kind of healed it was the cockroaches the insects the spiders like for me they all become characters uh, in a larger you know yeah theater. so there's a thread that runs through not just any one particular piece of work but through everything you've done almost mm-hmm. but in terms of like talking of visual language just to sort of summarize your journey as it were you started in black and white in a f- what i would kind of describe as a sort of magnum tradition i suppose you know is the best way of probably putting it very contrasty black and white all that stuff life is elsewhere was in that style and then the subsequent book was really about your mum's recovery in a way or partial recovery we haven't mentioned but she was schizophrenic mm-hmm. which must have been horrific did you have sib- do you have siblings uh, no no siblings okay so you in a way it felt like i imagine that was all on your plate mm-hmm. right Yeah. So I can see why you wanted to this escapism thing. It just makes so much sense really. And also uh, I think cuz your parents split up, didn't they? And that yeah, that yeah, yeah. that kind of had a a very negative impact on the on the kind of progression of of her illness. Mm-hmm. But then the the subsequent work was you transitioned to color. But do you still are you still fairly fluid with all that? Do you still feel like you can you know that's like your work in either and it'll depend on the project you're working on? So I think um when I started I actually started because uh, in black and white um right in the beginning because on the one hand I was um trying to make trying to think about what I was trying to do with the photographs at the same time I was aware that I also had to sharpen uh, my command over the language itself to be able to then reject the language. Mm-hmm. Um I think black and white for me was an easy start because I kind of believed at that time and a part of me still does that I could pass off any shit as being decent in black and white. You know, it just it just 
reduced many layers for me um, and and I could focus on specific things whether it was the composition or um, that was like when I just started and then that evolved into other things and mm. um, the thing is I don't really I mean I think Magnum had a big influence at the beginning because I think they were visible to me um, I discovered a l- world much larger than Magnum as I went along. Yeah, but it's almost like the first, it's the first uh, place yeah. we all, we all, you know, gravitate towards, isn't yeah, it? But, but, but for me, it's, it's not the limiting space. I mean, there's, there's much more beyond it. But uh, just going back to what you were saying about visual language, um, for me, I look at these languages more um, in terms of the distance that I want. I don't care so much about black and white color, you know. I can say that as today, you know. Um, for me, I think they're all gestures of a different kind. Um, I think there was a time when I was, I mean, there's some things that I do where I respond quite intuitively and I pick up, you know, a language because I intuitively respond to it. Like even my book, The Coast, you know, um, that's the newest one, the latest one. Yeah, but I think I started responding photographically in this way quite intuitively because um, I was sensing an undercurrent which was of aggression you know, of life around me. Um, I think there was a build-up that I was feeling and today this build-up is manifesting itself in so many things, you know, whether it's uh, the stories we hear of all the lynchings that are happening in India or, you know, um, or uh, the riots that have happened in the past, you know. Um, and I think for me, I started responding, I feel, aggressively back to the world right. that I was seeing. Um, and I ended up developing the language further consciously um, also by kind of I was influenced by the new kind of imagery that was coming out the the unburdened imagery you know which didn't have the burden of uh, photography you know uh, the images I would see on social media and and uh, images that I think the equivalent of these images would have been you know family albums 20-30 years ago but today these images have gone out of control, you know, and they're pulling in so many different directions. And in a way, it's, you know, that is what I was starting to consciously get affected by, you know. Um, and um, and uh, so you were you were aware of your own <laughs> aggression levels increasing in some way. Yeah, I mean, see, uh, I mean, for me, photography is not really about taking photographs. Um, for me, photography is just an excuse to insert myself in situations or spaces and to respond to those situations and spaces and to, you know, see what my relationship is with that. Now, with my mum, since you started with that, um, you know, I was escaping not because I thought I should escape for my project, but I was escaping. You know, and that is something that I ended up realizing pretty much by the time I was done with what I was doing. Right. And um, 
I also at that same time was getting affected by you know the children who were photographing their world their homes in a particular way which was quite non photographic in a way um and I r- was loving that mm. um this all happened i mean there were a lot of overlaps you know i was not liking life as elsewhere because i was feeling like there was too much of a photographer in me in there and that was supposed to be a stream of consciousness for your working but if it's an autobiographical journal is this really a journal because i'm i'm very aware of what i'm doing you know um i was not sure if my work was honest or not in that sense so there were there were a lot of dilemmas and i get stuck in these dilemmas quite often um in a way i think it's a good thing for me but i also end up for example i think i didn't take photographs for 2 3 years because i didn't see the point of making images because i felt like i'd hit a roadblock you know i'd mm-hmm. hit a wall and it all felt fake to me whatever i was doing but then for me i was really responding to the images made by the kids because here comes in the distance you know they i felt like the, there was far less distance between what they were photographing in them than what i had been photographing and this this was a workshop that you were sort of running um with kids was yeah, it this is like i was the coordinator i was right. one of the tutors there were other people involved this in cambodia in cambodia yeah anko photo festival anko um, yeah 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 and um For me I ended up realizing that I needed to confront more. So the two works that you saw which you take it as black and white in color for me was more about escaping and confronting, mm. you know. Um at the same time I am aware of myself as a photographer and I was also trying to shed that burden of being a photographer and I wanted to be very anti-photography but that in itself became photography. So there were all these other you know struggles that i had but in general you know i it was about not really caring about the photography of it but actually experiencing life mm. so for me that became more about actually going back home a space that at one time i had been trying to escape and then now when i was going back i think i was aware that i needed to be there you know uh and in that sense for me look it's getting sunny outside that's the other you know the the pet book with life yeah, elsewhere that was the sort of follow up book that uh, was more about actually being there mm. you know confronting it wasn't i mean a lot of people find it a more depressing book even though Not my really. mom was doing better right. but the dog died you know ah uh, yeah so, so the dog was so her companion in a way Yeah. And uh yeah, the dog the dog died. So I think people also found it a little depressing because of the straightforwardness of it. Mm. But for me that is what I needed to do, not necessarily to make photography out of it, but um it was more to more to just acknowledge uh something I'd been running away from. Yeah. And photography was an excuse, it was a residue, you know. So, and for me, photography is always a residue of these things. Um, I need to um, experience first, and then photography comes later. Um, if I keep, if I keep doing it for photography's sake, I think I'll I get bored anyway quite easily. And then if I keep doing it for photography's sake, I think I'll die early, you know, mm. as a photographer. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I was just wondering, because obviously the fact that the second book was about her recovery and the fact that then it was colour, it almost seemed like, you know, it was, there was a little bit of life coming back into things, you know, and that the colour could almost represent that transition. But obviously there's, you know, one can interpret these things. As no, but that, I mean, the thing is that it's called Look, It's Getting Sunny Outside. The cover photo has these blossoms of flowers on the tree, it's just to deceive everyone, right? You know, so the inside is very consciously going away from that. Mm. Um, well, what about using humor, though? Because I think that you know there is a certain amount of humor in certainly in the first book, maybe less so in the second book. Was that an intentional thing for you? Again, it's something that, irrespective of photography, it's how I get by life. <laughs> you know, um, I think. I'm more interested in the long run than what's happening now. I think sometimes life can be very shitty at this very moment, but somehow I have to carry on. Well, you're a bit of a pessimist then? Then. Generally. Gen- Generally. Uh, no, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a skeptic. Okay. You know, uh, not a yeah. pessimist. Yeah. No, but right, yeah, you've got a healthy kind of uh, I'm distrust. I'm a big skeptic. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, I I get skeptical of um, of everything, uh, but that also makes me curious about life. Um, I think I just don't want to accept. Um, mm. So I, I I want to question and then accept. Mm. And because um, I'm I'm thinking straight away of you know your kind of journey to Magnum now and and how you know you're responding to that because I, I presume you're sort of. You know, your skepticism, uh, I would imagine, is the same for everything. And that's probably healthy. I can imagine, you know, obviously getting into Magnum is an amazing thing, you know, for any photographer. We all know that. Especially if you started looking, you know, if that's where you began looking at those people. I mean, but how does it feel right now? Well, I'm very happy. I've always been very happy. I mean, the thing is that, uh, I'm. I mean, for me, it's great that I'm there. I don't know if I last. Hmm. I might get thrown out next year. I have <laughs> to apply for my full membership. It's been okay. So you're the you're a, you're an associate now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the and, middle. And and, 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 and I'm already in my fifth year, and every year I, I think I've been missing it by one vote. And last year, I really? someone, someone changed. They vote for me. So really, so you've been skinning your teeth, kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, I mean, a lot of people there also don't. I mean, get my work, but but at the same time, there are a lot of people fighting for me. So it's that's nice. Um, I think for me, it's a really healthy place to have one foot in. But at the same time, this is not so much about skepticism. I think it's more to do with um, being aware of how little I am in every situation. Mm. I think if I became a nominee at Mag- with Magnum and for me that was everything that I wanted, then I would, I mean, that would be so limiting for me, you know. Mm. Um, was it an ambition for you, though, to get in there? I mean, did it? was it something that you actually mm. ever thought about? It was not, I mean, of course, when I started, uh, there was so much influence of Magnum, you know. Mm. Um people like Kudelka and all of that and those are people you start off I mean I fell in love with Mm. photography because of some of those people but at the same time my decision was also a practical one 
you know it's like i kind of i think of my journey as a series of inflection points you know i need these moments where um um could be a moment of disruption of a kind um but something changes you know um and i think becoming a no- nominated for magnum was one of those moments i think um for me what it gives me is it gives me a sort of a rigor which i'm very afraid um of not having otherwise um i think when i look around you know at i feel like the generation that i belong to and the generation that are coming up after me um rigor becomes a sort of luxury for us you know there's so many other distractions for us so even if people tell me at mag at magnum might tell me that they absolutely hate my work uh i think i appreciate that um because it kind of um it's fun you know um you appreciate that honesty not just honesty for me it's like i'll it's like it's a playful thing for me you know uh, okay so you're quite thick skin i mean you you must be quite thick skin i mean you don't feel i mean a lot of people would oh, be really no, no, disturbed no, i'm i get hurt like crazy okay. but no no i'm not thick skin at all it's just that um i also learned i mean you know people have far shittier lives than this so i can't oh, yeah. afford to really stop my life if someone says they hate my work you know uh, right, but right. Uh, or like if i don't get my votes you know the people are not getting food Yeah yeah so it's, so it's, it's all relative uh, it's all relative and then at the same time i think in a way it's also to remind myself of where i started from and for me photography was always a need um and i won't let anything not even magnum or anything in the world actually change that only if i get corrupt i'll change myself you know in that yeah. sense but um i don't think i want i'm going to let um something like magnum or any, any other sort of acknowledgement um take away f- the fun in it mm. i think the one thing that is important to me is to keep having fun mm. i'm not going to stop having fun because someone doesn't like my photographs you know uh, or if i don't get votes to mm. be a member of something it strikes me that's probably the most healthy way to you know go about that to be in the position that you're in really it's a normal way to go about things if yeah. i didn't have fun i would sh- i would rather have just been making money somewhere you know yeah. um if i could but i mean we all take to this there's magic in what we are doing or we all start doing things because we find there to be magic ah uh, why not remain a kid and keep finding magic which is why you know for me it's all limited not only magnum but anything else you know I have a book signing right now sure you know it's limited for me i mean in the end i do know that after when i go back i'll be alone on my own nobody will give a damn about me i just mm. have to be the one who has to make carry on and make whatever i have to make you know mm-hmm. um so i think maybe in a way i realized that in the end i'm alone in this right you know uh, even though magnum gives me a community or you know uh, being here you have this temporary sort of kinship with people but in the end you know uh, i go back to my own hole and i'm kind of there on my own and 
it's a great place to be in and um i need to do what's important to me i think i read that you'd said something about you know that having attention media attention i suppose you really mean that you know the, the more you the more you have the more comfortable you get and then and that somehow that you know you die a little inside in some ways could you maybe uh, expand on that a little or explain what you mean no just i i think i know my weaknesses i'm a very flawed person i know that i get distracted mm, i know that you know uh, i'm scared of my ego i'm scared of actually i think i'm more interested in the long run you know when i started off uh, i had these romantic notions about photography i really wish that a part of me really wish that um maybe when i die someone might come collect my work you know yeah. like i hope i never get discovered and then i mean i mean these are the things that make this journey quite beautiful when everything is going bad for you when nothing is happening for you then you start relying on these romantic notions to kind of and then it seems worth it but there is some truth to this which is that i think when i step back and i look at how works have lived with me you know i've seen a lot of my friends who got acknowledged quite early on in life mm. and i ended up seeing them die a little mm. um and i always have to assume that i'm far weaker as a person than them so if it happens to them it's going to be much worse for me um because i think i'm very scared i'm very scared of um waking up one day and not knowing what to do right you know um what work like uh, i'm waking up thinking in terms of projects to begin with uh-huh. what project should i work on i mean i never do that um which is why i'm also working 6 7 8 different works at the same time um so when one ends if it ever ends i don't i mean i carry on Mm-hmm. So you find it easy or you, or you at least you you find it preferable to ha- ha- be juggling lots of different projects all at once you don't have any problem with doing that you no, don't know no. for me it's like instead of i need the resting period you know uh but instead of having the resting period and doing nothing i prefer to ricochet off to another work because what that does is i like this ricocheting between different works because i come back to the same work in a different way and um um i think it brings something more mm. you know um and it challenges what i was doing before uh before taking that break so this has become my system of working where um i kind of see myself moving forward not really in a straight line but like in a zigzag sort of a pattern but it feels it, i for me it's very logical mm. now for someone else looking at my work it may feel all over the place chaotic not making sense but i think that when maybe when in a larger sort of a timeline uh, or a larger you know work history maybe people might see connections between different works you know mm. in some places i've written about because i write a lot about my process and sometimes it helps to condense my own thoughts and be aware of what i'm doing and the one thing that always pops up i think for the last 
10, 15 years and what I've written or said has been the idea of a tree. All my works feel like different branches of a single tree, even if each branch is quite different from the other, but they belong to the same trunk. And um, I see all the works growing, all the branches growing larger together, right. even if one might grow faster than the other branch, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, because when I step back, I feel like in the end, even today when I step back, I don't want to see myself who's doing one project here, one project there. I feel like everything overlaps to some extent, you know, um, because they're all a part of me. And if they're all part of me, then there have to be some common links between all of them. So some people might think that, oh, I do like these socioeconomic works in the beginning. Then I started looking at family. But for me, they both were connected. You mm. know? Uh, this way of, because I feel like if I'm talking to you as a person, forget about photography, you know, I, I, I might actually talk to you about my life, about my siblings. I don't have any, but if I had, I would. Uh, I would, might talk to you about my family, what I like to eat, you know, my political leanings, you know, which film I loved, what music drives me crazy, you know, what I absolutely hate. So I feel like if as people we're able to communicate in this com with these complex overlaps, yet they make sense. Um, then why is it that in photography we, or art or whatever, when we when we are making, why is it that we actually compartmentalize what we do? I think uh, for me the biggest. Um, I see a lot of people who separate themselves when they are people, and when they are photographers. Uh, and for me, the whole idea of working is to bring bridge these two things together. You know, mm -hmm. uh, because. This is what will give me fuel to kind of carry on for the rest of my life, you know, because I think all of us are complex entities with complex positions with regard to the world, you know. Mm. Uh, and I think this position is also dynamic, you know. It's not just one position with many things, but it's many positions with many things across different points of time. And... Um, that is photography for me, you know? So which is why when I look at my entire work history from the time I started to now, it's not just me going from one kind of work to the other, it's also me building over time and then having these other sort of uh, interlinkages at different points of time and at this, within the same point of time, mm. you know? So, But you've also experimented not just only in that respect but with other mediums like you know you, you've played with sound and it seems to me almost like you're you're, you're one of those sort of experimenters really where you know you're not really going to be constrained by photography's limitations and you can start you know maybe introducing other media what was the thing you did with the sound um patterns or um i can't remember the proposition for deception no not deception <laughs> i don't want to deceive it's a proposition for departure i can't read my own writing um a, a proposition, proposition for, departure. for departure yeah so um a proposition for departure basically kind of sound experiments weren't they 
there were sound experiments, but um, basically I, you know, I made these eight, eight sound extractions. I like to call them sound extractions from eight images from Life is Elsewhere. And um, I ra ran these images through a free online synthesizer, which is meant for basic line images, you know. Um, but my images, because of the contrast and everything, um, the synthesizer worked on my images. But then um, it, it goes back to a really old um, uh, uh, idea of light and sound about you know there being a correlation between the frequencies and um, this particular online synthesizer you know um, helped me generate sounds from specific images and I put eight of them together to make a three movement sound piece um, on the lines of a very classic son sonata um, where the first movement is like an introduction. The second movement is where the piece is opened up and it's explored, and the third movement um, sort of departs on a high note. And um, and the thing is that um, the, there's specific images that play into these different movements. You know, um, in Life Is Elsewhere, the book, uh, the book flows in three movements. I begin from home. And my mum wasn't well. Then I move into the outside world. That's me escaping, discovering the world outside, finding myself or trying to find myself. There's a search on. And then as my mum starts to get better, I come back home. Mm. So that's how the book Life is Elsewhere flows. Um, when I started looking at the book and started actually you know, playing with the idea of sound... A lot of time had passed, so I didn't want to, you know, for me, I was coming back into this work. Um, I in, ended up inverting uh, the movements. So the way the sound piece is constructed is that the first movement is generated from images from the outside world. The peak of the second movement is when my mom was really not doing well. Hmm. Um, and the final movement which is almost like a crescendo of some sorts is again back in the outside world um, I make films out of my uh, photographs as well mm. um, I needed a sound piece I'm also a bit of a control freak so I ended up <laughs> it served one purpose but for me it became my manifesto the sound mm. piece was my manifesto the sound right. book is the Print the reproduction of a manifesto. Um, for me, I don't think in terms of photographs. I think in terms of images. Uh, images for me could be still. They could be moving. They could be sound. They could be sculpture. They could be architecture. The possibilities of image, when I think in terms of image, are infinite, as opposed to when I think in terms of photographs. So it helps me to kind of flow between all these forms mm. uh, simply because I don't care. Right, right. You know, uh, yeah. for me, I'm trying to generate an experience yeah. or a feeling. Uh, I'm trying to put forward an idea. 
uh-huh. and I will do whatever I can to, to do that. Right, and you'll use whatever medium. Yeah, but the core of my work still falls into the still image, the mm. photograph, because that's what I consciously started with. And I'm happy to have that as an anchor. It's just that I like this opening up of, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, thing. Um, okay, I'm conscious of time. What's the absolute latest you can be out of here? Uh, five minutes? Five minutes. Okay, yeah. cool. Because I did want to just, I think we'd, if we use the last five minutes to talk about Coast, your, your most recent book, because um, that's the fourth book, isn't it? So I guess, you know, maybe you can just introduce it and tell us in whatever way you would like to what it's about. Um, well, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm generating different narratives. Um, I've, I've written, I write a lot of short stories in this one. I've uh, written one short story and I've put in 12 iterations of it. But in each iteration, each subsequent iteration, um, the story starts to shift away in one direction. Um, it's sort of like a set of Chinese whispers being retold and in each retelling of it, something changes. But what is important to me is uh, the idea of uh, the system of information that we are living in, which is generating narratives, you know. So I'm, I'm looking at, I'm taking these images that I've made and I'm, um, I'm playing with the meanings of those images, but yet holding it together in a sort of a... Um, coherent fictional narrative uh, about a woman who's lost her head and, you know, uh, it's alluding to um, undercurrents of violence of different forms. Um, But at the same time, it's not being fixed to any one meaning, you know. There's some images that could be, uh, might feel violent in one context with a specific juxtaposition but with another juxtaposition, you know, it might actually feel funny. So, I mean, for this we need an hour. No, I was going to say, I mean, like, yeah, exactly. I don't yeah, know I mean, where to begin from. Well, it's, uh, we've got five minutes to, to talk about a very complex and, um, and you know, intricate and nuanced project. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's a bummer that that's the way it's worked out. But at least you've given us a some sense of it. And, and in terms of the... I mean, is your style of shooting or the way the images look, is that progressing or moving or is there, is there a distinct difference between this work and previous? Um, see, people find this work to be connected to life is elsewhere in some ways. I mean, I have no idea why, how, but um, as I said that I'm, I'm not really... I mean, in a way, I think I'm, if I'm even to work with a language, you know, I might pull towards, pull outwards in, onto the fringe of a certain language, which is maybe what I'm doing here. But for example, I'll have a show that will open uh, later this year in a museum in the U.S., of my work in the U.S., uh, I'm also going to be publishing that book later in the year or beginning next year. So that's the next thing. Uh, that's the next thing. American but then, work. But then the work is far more uh, familiar. It's far more classic in a way. Mm. Um, because for me, it's not about the language. It's about the intent, the the gestures with that I'm trying to put forward for, you know, mm. the photography that I'm using. So the work there is a lot more gentle. 
similarly my work in kashmir that i'm doing um is far more gentle because it needs to be gentle you know that is what i felt there um so that's also an ongoing project the, the kashmir one that's also an ongoing project there's some films also that are ongoing <laughs> so there's like a whole bunch of uh, experiments that are ongoing um but these are the larger threads that are moving forward mm. um and this book the coast is also connected to a film called the lost head and the bird you know a lot of my books are intertwined with different films and some are intertwined with sound pieces but each one is made to be able to live independently mm. you know in the film uh, i have the same sort of a kind of a broader narrative going forward uh, but it kind of spirals into a vortex of um, like a flood of images that i'm being bombarded by not just today but from the time i've grown up and um you know um i i like i feel like th- there's like a sh- deluge of images that is not allowing me to make sense of the world today so in the film i'm using a similar sort of a um narrative with the sim- from the you know from the same images that are made in the book but it leads to that point of chaos mm. um the book for example becomes far more metaphorical becomes a lot more um loose and open to interpretation um the end of the book is to do with the sea because for me the coast becomes um the edge the periphery not periphery but the fringe mm. in a way um it becomes a sort of a tipping point and um you know in the sea you have um all these characters who after a religious festival you know they were masquerading as different characters and gods and so on and and they get into a state of trance they get really violent in the state of trance and then they carried in the state of exhaustion into the sea to wash this masquerade off themselves and in that moment you know one can witness um different states of being you know there's joy there's ecstasy there's fear there is confusion there is you know anger there's sensuality there's a lot of touch you know um usually um i don't think our 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 expression in society back home is quite limited to a few forms of expression but certainly in this one moment within the sea you know people let go in different directions and mm, for me that becomes a sort of a metaphor the washing away because mm. the book within the book there's a lot of masquerade as well you know um and and in a way like for me it's the book is a far more hopeful work where i feel like even though it responded to the violence the f- the atmosphere of violence that i'm existing in back home uh through this fictional narrative uh i feel like there's still hope to kind of find uh some sort of stable ground um i you know i'm interested in this idea of the mask as well because a lot of us act wearing masks you know we might posture as liberals and we do certain things but we actually might be quite conservative inside mm. you know we we posture to be something which mean we may not be so um 
that is the idea that i'm playing with you know um i'm looking at something primal but within a mask i don't know if i'm being able to articulate yeah, yeah. it um well, because I, we are running short of time yeah, i'm trying yeah, yeah. to you know like just well look i mean i think people listening will 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 hopefully you know go online and 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 see some of the images from the book it's called the coast it's your it's your latest one as we said they can they can at least get a sense of what oh, plus for magnum i've written uh, written about it in detail about okay. the coast and about the lost and the birth of uh, the film it's on so the web it's on the magnum on the magnum uh, website. website they can okay, just okay great so I'll, i'll put links in the show notes yeah. to all that so people can see you yeah. read your own stuff about it get a bit more context to it and then obviously maybe buy the book and then we'll look forward to the, the american works and it's all very exciting there's lots happening for you so um you've got to go and do a book signing so i want to let you go but yeah. um i really appreciate you chatting with me sir it's really it's, it's been, been lovely to meet you man yeah you thank too. you so much you too thank you mm-hmm.